Happy Sunday afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday social. Today, I'm here with Steve Hager, Senior Staff Attorney for Oils, Oklahoma Indian Legal Services. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, doing all right. Now, you've been on before, but tell us a little bit about what what you guys provide at OILS. Sure. Uh, OILS is a uh, legal aid office. We provide uh, civil, well, and some criminal services uh, to low-income Native people. Um, Our funding comes from Legal Services Corporation, which is uh, an organization in Washington that uh, gets money from the federal government and then distributes it to legal services offices. And OILS is one of five standalone Indian law offices in the the nation. Uh, We just do Indian law. That's all we do. Okay. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about... um how the shutdown has affected, because I know a lot of what people know about about oils is um, like the Wills clinics and doing probates. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, how is how has the shutdown affected that? Well, it it hasn't slowed us down any yet, but it's uh, it's coming to that point. Um, you know, when people think about the federal government, they think, oh, well, you know, the federal government shut down but they don't think about how it, it spreads out. And, you know, uh, we're, still, we're still going and we're still in, in good shape right now, but we don't know how long that'll, that'll be because our funding, uh, you know, is dependent upon federal dollars and uh, it's going to cut off at some time soon. Um, same thing with the, with the tribes and the courts, the tribal courts. Uh, their money is is rapidly uh, coming to an end. And I know that some tribes have already started sort of uh, furloughing people or laying them off. And uh, some of the courts, the uh, Court of Indian Offenses in Anadarko and Miami and Oto, uh, those courts have all been uh, shut down now, shuttered, uh, waiting for resolution of it. And the longer it goes, the, the worse it's going to get for everybody. Uh, like I said, we're still, we're still open for business, and we're still, uh, still working, but uh, we'll, we, just, we just don't know when exactly that could, could go away from us. So what are they? What are they doing with those those cases on the docket? Are they because I had heard that they they were sending some cases that were supposed to be in CFR court and sending them out to tribal courts that were still open. I, um, I've heard that uh, the problem, of course, is that the tribal courts are going to be closed down pretty quickly. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm uh, seeing other courts, and I mean, I'm I'm now getting kind of panicky because I, I tried to call a, a court clerk's office today and uh, it just went to a machine and that uh, always makes me nervous on a Tuesday with yeah. <laughs> a court clerk getting in the office. So I'm I'm getting a little bit uh, concerned about things like that. <laughs> but hopefully, uh, you know, they're, they're going to try to weather through it as well, you know. Well, it's a, you know, it's a crazy... A crazy time that we're living in right now. <clears throat> we're seeing some uh, some unprecedented times. Oh, it's it's nuts. Um, uh, so know. I wanted to talk a little bit about this Murphy versus Royal case, and and kind of the implications, the ripples that could be felt from this. I know it's been going on for a while, but uh, is it getting close to conclusion, or what are we looking at? Well, I, I think we're we might be getting close to a, kind of a conclusion on it. Uh, 
Murphy, uh, there's been a, a lot of talk about it and everything, but kind of the the underlying facts are are pretty interesting. It's a pretty crazy case. Uh, Murphy is uh, a man accused of, of murder, and there's not much question that he did it. Uh, the question really is is whether or not they tried him in the right court. Uh, he was tried and convicted uh, in Oklahoma uh, in state courts, but uh, he this was back in 1999, so it's been almost 20 years that he's been incarcerated, and he was convicted to death. Uh, there are appeals that have gone on since then, questioning whether or not he was, you know, really mentally competent enough to uh, to um, understand that what he was doing was a crime, and those have come back. And it went up to the uh, it went up to the Tenth Circuit, and uh, that's the that's the federal court in Denver that that sort of the the circuit court that covers the state of Oklahoma's courts, and. Uh, that court came back with kind of an interesting approach. And what they said was that uh, it should not have been done in state court because it occurred within the traditional boundaries of the Creek Nation. And the state of Oklahoma argued that, uh, well, that reservation had been disestablished, which means that it, it was no longer... Uh, no longer a reservation, and the basis for that, they said, was that uh, the land had been placed into restriction for individuals, uh, individual tribal members. But the Tenth Circuit said, well, why does that matter? Uh, and the Tenth Circuit said that the court has to have proof that the uh, United States Congress on purpose, without question, disestablished the reservations. So they found that, uh, you know, they, they found that there was no proof that the courts had been, uh, that the, the boundaries of the reservation had been disestablished, and that as such, the courts uh, couldn't really hold uh, Mr. Murphy, uh, you know, uh, accountable in, in state courts, that the federal courts under the Major Crimes Act should have been the court to try him. So, you know, this raises a, a lot of interesting questions, and it's it's gone up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court heard arguments on it. Uh, now the case is called uh, Murphy versus Carpenter. Um, Mr. Royal was the, uh, he was the warden of the prison where uh, Murphy stays, and so he's left, and Carpenter has stepped into his place, and so the, you know, you're going to hear both uh, both names thrown about, I think, and uh, the question then becomes whether or not um, the you know the tribe still has boundaries, and of course, if the if the tribal reservation is intact, that's about what, 12, 13 counties in Oklahoma that are, are reservation now, including a big chunk of Tulsa. Well, that's, that's just Creek Nation, though, right? That's just the Creek Nation. <clears throat> so how many, how many tribes in Oklahoma 
have had their their reservation disestablished, as they said, uh, by the Congress or whatever it needed. Well, now that that's where it gets really interesting because if you look at the if you look at the breakdowns, uh, thirty nine tribes in Oklahoma and maybe only two have absolutely had their reservations disestablished, and that'd be the Osage Nation and the Creek Nation, and. I mean, all those other 37 tribes, there'd be, uh, if they find for the Creeks, there'd be 36 possible tribes, and the courts would have to determine (laughs) if their boundaries had ever been disestablished. Individually? Individually. So uh, this has implications in several different fields, right? I mean... It's it's shocking. Yes, it's a it's a huge nightmare. Because that's <laughs> o- that's all of Oklahoma. That's what Oklahoma was. It was Indian territory. Exactly. exactly. It was nothing but reservations. You know, I uh, I wrote a paper uh, last uh, last month, and when the I was talking about how the state indicated that it had no uh, no indication that there was Indian country in Oklahoma, and I said, well, technically the name should have tipped you off, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That seems like it would make sense. I mean, I, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be nuts, though. I uh, mean, this uh, so I guess that means the uh, Kiowas, Comanches, and Apaches on Fort Sill again, right? Well, things like <laughs> that. Uh, you know, there's there's no reason really to uh, to think the reservations have been disestablished unless you have a congressional act that says to disestablish the reservation. So wouldn't that wouldn't that give the tribes the right to set taxes yes. as they as they wish toll gates and um, I mean all of that's <laughs> going to have to be yeah all of that's going to have to be figured out property you know? taxes yeah. and I mean and that is that is exactly what Oklahoma was arguing uh, in front of the Supreme oh. Court that the that the side effects of that would be tremendous mm-hmm. and and if you look at the amicus uh, briefs and amicus means friend of the court so if there's some big issue you know you'll see you'll hear oh somebody filed an amicus and that means that they're not actually involved in the case, but that they might actually have a reason to, to look at it. Well, the amicus briefs in this case were filed by, oh, the Petroleum Association, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the Cattlemen's Association, people like that, who yeah. are just looking at this going, oh, God, you know, who, you know, what's going to happen? Think of all the pipelines. We're, uh-huh. we're involved in a case called... Uh, Called Davia versus, uh, oh, I can't even remember the name of the defendant, Energex oh, or something. Yeah, that case, that they Davia just that case. one just sent, settled, right? Well, it hasn't settled yet. Oh. We've they've they've lost pretty effectively all the way through it, but Davia is still it's still a, an active case going on. Wow. Uh, but that's just on a that's just on a pipeline that's just really just a. a uh, not a very big pipeline that goes through a, a pretty small area of uh, of trust land uh, that the that the this family owns. Uh, wow. Think about all those pipelines going through all <laughs> that reservation country. Now, a lot of the issues have already, you know, they're kind of off the table. Um, things like uh, environmental controls. Uh, one of our finer. Uh, Senators has already passed a bill saying that uh, the reservations uh, or that the tribes can't really uh, engage in any kind of EPA 
uh, investigations or anything like that, that that has to stay within the state of Oklahoma. Uh, and that was long before this, this came up, of course. But <laughs> you've got all these, you've got all these great issues, you know, and there will be some people who are going to, you know, be able to, to raise, uh, you know, raise new defenses saying that, that there's not a, uh, not a, uh, a reason that they should have been in state court for their criminal charges. And that's, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be a few people. That's going to be some, uh, but you know, my, my big issue is the Indian Child Welfare Act. And that's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much the definition of, you know, you give a guy a hammer and he's going to find a nail to pound in. And, yeah. and the Indian Child Welfare Act is pretty much the hammer. So uh, there's something about Murphy that not a lot of people have really considered, I think. And that's that... Uh, if you read the Indian Child Welfare Act, there's a provision in 25 U.S.C. 1911A, and it says that in Indian country, the tribal court has exclusive jurisdiction unless there's a federal law that says otherwise. And that's kind of a that's kind of a reference to uh, PL 280. Um, you know, there are some states where the reservations. Uh, you can have a reservation, but still the state takes uh, takes jurisdiction over certain types of things, certain types of issues. And so in those states like Alaska and California and, and uh, you know, the Dakotas, they're going to they're going to maintain at least concurrent jurisdiction over over Indian Child Welfare Act cases. But states like Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, uh you know, these states, uh, if you have Indian country, that Indian country uh, deals with all the Indian Child Welfare Act cases uh, that come up. The state doesn't enter into it. If Murphy is found to be the law, um, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who uh, have had their children uh, removed from them who have had adoptions done, who have had guardianships done, all of those people, they're going to have to look at what they did in state court, and they're going to have to decide whether or not the state court had jurisdiction on these things. So that could be, you know, I mean, you could have, you could have, you know, grandparents who adopted their kids, you know, their kids' kids, uh, 20 years ago mm -hmm. and you know well not 20 years ago let's say let's say 15 years ago so they've got <laughs> they've got kids now who are 16 or 17 yeah well you know do they have jurisdiction to to do those adoptions should they have done those in tribal court yeah. not in state court so all of those issues are going to come out uh depending on what happens in the supreme court you know and I'm just not sure that people have have really thought about, uh, you know, the Indian Child Welfare Act and how it's gonna it's gonna impact uh, in a Murphy case. And the thing about it is that each reservation, each tribe, is kind of gonna have to look to see if their reservation boundaries are intact. But it's not going to be the tribes that are going to be making these arguments. It's going to be, 
you know, I, I guarantee you it'll be it'll be some guy, some lawyer who's got a big billboard up somewhere mm-hmm. that says, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Indian Child Welfare Act, come see us. Because mm-hmm. uh, all of those guys are, are going to be wow. the ones. You're going to have... You're going to have parents whose rights have been terminated mm-hmm. who are going to be saying, wait a minute, you didn't have the jurisdiction to terminate my rights. Uh, all of that, all of that can come about just because of this case. Would, would, would that, like, thinking even, I guess, more outside the box, would that have any effect on, the like, the the state's ability to grant a marriage license or a divorce or i mean i mean see all those things come in you know uh like what happens if uh yeah what happens (laughs) if if you're uh if you're a a married couple who are are both tribal members you know does the state and and you're in a reservation does the state have jurisdiction to issue a marriage license do they have the jurisdiction to end that marriage you know, think about that. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> Sorry, I, I really shouldn't laugh about it. Uh, but, no, well, you know, it is funny. Though. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy. The, the that, level of chaos could, yeah. be, could be really interesting. And I think it's important that people keep that in mind. <laughs> that it, uh, through no fault of your own, you might find yourself living in interesting times. That's that old Chinese curse, you know. Mm. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> And, well, uh, we, we, we certainly there. are right now. <laughs> well, we're we're we seem to be getting more and more interesting, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, you know, it's just kind of crazy. Um, but all these uh, all these issues are, you know, I mean, if the court just says bluntly, uh, "No, the Tenth Circuit was wrong," and and uh, the reservation has been disestablished. You'd think, well, that kind of takes care of the issue. But the reasoning that the Tenth Circuit used, uh, it's really solid. Hmm. It's, it's a really solid opinion. And it uses case law that uh, uh, Justice Thomas, of all people, uh, you know, they— He's the one who who wrote the last opinion, and it was out of uh, it was on a tribe out of uh, Nebraska, and in that case, the tribe said, "Well, we're pretty sure our reservation has been disestablished," and he said, "No, it hasn't." So it's kind of going to be hard to see how they can ignore <laughs> this, and it's going to be kind of hard to see if really, uh, even if they find some reason to justify the. Uh, uh, if they to find the creek reservation was disestablished, that doesn't necessarily mean that the the reasoning isn't there to go through all of these other all tribal the reservations. You know, I mean, when you talk about two out of thirty nine, that's not very much of Oklahoma. No, that's there's a lot of land there. You know, yeah, I mean, and I mean, pretty much the whole Oklahoma City metro area, the entire Tulsa metro area. Uh, Lawton. I mean, that's the three biggest cities in Oklahoma, yeah. right? Oklahoma City would be in the. They're in unassigned land, so that's that's going to be the only city that's clearly not reservation land. Oh. But but Lawton, yeah, uh, Ada, um, you know, any any other city you care to name is going to be in somebody's territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of these uh, all of these tribal reservations could 
well be held to be uh, intact. And if that happens, uh, you know, the world gets a lot more interesting. Now, do I think it's a bad idea if they do this? No, it's not. You know, people always tend to think, uh, and this has been, I've, I've been working now in Indian uh, law for, for 30 years, and people always sort of think that the, uh, you know, the sky is going to fall if anything is given to the tribes. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know if you have casinos, the sky is going to fall. Well, yeah. you know, to be honest, the only reason why Oklahoma is able to maintain its existence right now <laughs> is yeah. because of our casinos. The, you yeah. know, let's let's be honest about that. Yeah, we don't have anything <clears throat> else. <laughs> well, and and that's kind of a double edged sword because without the casinos, they wouldn't have as much funds to mismanage no. either. Yeah, so. that's true. That's they, they just be it'd be a nightmare. You know. <laughs> yeah, and, but yeah, I mean. That is, uh, it's crazy just thinking about the implications of what could actually come from this. I mean, it, it is, it's wild. And it's, it's an interesting thought to really think, you know, could, you know, if, if it were reservation territory, could the tribes really be any worse than some uh, of our governments have been? And that's, uh, I mean, that's really know, a good point because, yeah. I mean, We've long joked about tribal politics and how mismanaged tribes are and, you know, but Oklahoma's been the laughing stock of the United States for a while now. Oh, let's let's not forget that Oklahoma has still, in the history of the world, had the biggest government scandal ever. And that was with our corporation commissioners, where uh, that was in the nineteen was it, the early nineteen eighties, where there were literally three or four corporation commissioners who were not corrupt. Every other one of them, wow. every other one of them was corrupt. And and you know you kind of look at it and you go, okay, well, you know, let's do you really think that it could be worse? And of course, you know. Some of us have said that about the current government yeah. in, in Washington, and we've see, discovered, yes, it can be. But <laughs> I don't remember this scandal in my Oklahoma history textbook whenever I was in school. They didn't tell us about it. They didn't this. mention that to you. No. I was, uh, I, I'm older, so I kind of remember that. See, I was born yeah. in the 80s, so, you know, like, I, my first foray into scandals was, you know, Bill Clinton and uh, what, what, what was going on with the OJ oh. trial. You know what I mean? Like that age, I was 11, you know, was, something like that. It, it was it was interesting stuff to sit there and just watch like all day oh, yeah, coverage yeah. over, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing or whatever. Well, the, the scandal was uh, all of the, uh, I mean, literally all of the corporation commissioners in the state of Oklahoma, except for one or two people, were on the take. And you know, in retrospect, maybe we as a as a, a people should have seen it because, uh, you know, the the uh, annual income for a corporation commissioner was you know just a few thousand dollars, and yet all of these guys had had big fancy uh, pickup trucks, you know, that probably cost <laughs> thirty or forty grand in the eighties, yeah. you know, and uh, they they all had. Uh, they were all living pretty well, and when you consider that it's a full-time job and that they, uh, you know, they really should have been pretty much at poverty level, yeah. uh, that should have been kind of a clue for us all. Uh, they were just, you know, they were corporation commissioners determined what equipment's going to be bought. 
paved. Mm, uh, they're going okay. to determine where the roads are paved. The, and the not, bids and all yeah. that. Yeah, okay. and so, uh, so everybody was uh, making sure that the corporation commissioners were okay. And that's, that's an old scandal, you know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there to say that uh, I, I really, when people start telling me that, you know, if we have uh, reservations intact, oh, it's going to be bad. Mm. I'm thinking, well, it's already pretty bad. I'm, I'm in favor of letting somebody yeah. else take a well, shot I mean, at it. Look at, <laughs> look at tribes like, like the Creek or, you know, like the, the Cherokees, the Choctaws, sure, tribes sure. that are, they're in the black. Well, you know, I mean, they're doing pretty well for themselves. I mean, they're doing a lot the, better yeah. than, than the Oklahoma economy. The Chickasaws, the, you know, the Osage, the, yeah. a, a lot of the tribes have really, you know, they have a, a, a solid, stable, uh, stable government, uh, you know. that Forward the, thinking. Uh, yeah, Citizen Spotawatomie, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, they, uh, all these tribes, uh, a lot of these tribes have really smart people who are capable of understanding and, uh, you know, could, could look at a reservation and say, this is what we can do with this. And, uh, you know, it's not to, people tend to think, oh, well, if I live in a reservation, that means, uh, things are going to happen to me, you know, they'll, they'll come and take my house away or something. And and none of that's, none of that's impacted. Those are the same people, those are the same people that lock their doors when black people walk by. Yes, exactly. And clutch their purse when they get on the elevator. I mean, it's so worried. And you know, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, a political system is, uh, it's going to have implications but it's not going to have implications that are going to impact most people's lives. You yeah. Know? Uh, well, this is something that we've that we've talked about in other shows and on other shows on the same on this uh, same station is how how much this right here this this government shutdown and the weakening of the American economy and the world economy how much that could really strengthen tribes. Because so many people have put their stock into uh, material things, money and, you know, a big house and a big car. And they don't really put their stock into people. They don't put their stock into family. Um, And, you know, when when everything hits the fan, what are you going to fall back on? And that's one thing that Indians do have is a community. We have tribes. We have our family. We have the tribe. It's a lot stronger than just the regular community of a city. Or, you know what I mean? There's not, uh, yeah, we, we are, we can be divisive as, as a tribe. We can, you know, pick one side or the other, but it's not nearly as bad as just your general uh, population of a town or whatever it is. Well, and you know, that's, uh, that's important. I I think it's uh, important to, uh, to note that the Cherokees just announced that they were going to make sure that uh, non-Indian people who were, uh, affected by the cut down were going to be they were they were going to make sure that they had some uh, food for their children you know they were going to mm-hmm. have uh, wick uh, monies for uh, wick supplies for everyone and uh, you know uh, nobody really remembers this but a, a few years ago the uh, the Cherokees took pretty much all the money they had and they gave it to the rural fire departments in their area you know not the Indian fire departments the rural fire departments because the state had cut them all off. 
Yeah. The state had said, we don't have money for that. Yeah, the, and the, the volunteer the drought, firefighters. Yeah, and, yeah. In the middle of a drought, the state of Oklahoma said, well, you can just let your country burn. And the Cherokees stepped in and saved that. And that's, that's always been, you know, kind of the, the way it is. Um, so, I mean, people can, people can talk about it and people can, uh, can uh, act, kind of act panic-stricken about it. You know, that certainly seems to be the, uh, the state of Oklahoma's entire approach at the Supreme Court. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, uh, my position is it's, uh, it might be a little bit better to have people who actually have an understanding and who care about the land uh, kind of in charge of it than having people who are just uh, seeing it as a, a way to step forward. Yeah. You know? That's true. I mean, well, uh, before we go, uh, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the Wills Clinic this Friday in Oklahoma City. Um, if you had any more information on that, I know they're having it at the Oklahoma City uh, Indian clinic up there on Reno, fifty two oh eight Reno. Going to um, be a, a good clinic, yeah. Do they uh, do they need to call and make make a appointment, or is it just come you know first come first serve, or how does that how does well, that work? you can uh, you need to call and make an appointment. Uh, I don't know where we're at on our, on our uh, on people coming in. Uh, you can always call Oklahoma Indian Legal Services at one eight hundred six five eight one four nine seven. And uh, we actually, uh, we're one of the few businesses left where you'll actually talk to a person <laughs> when they come in. We, we, don't, uh, we don't have machines. You don't really. have to press a button? <laughs> no, no. We, right. we actually, uh, we have a person who, uh, I mean, you could press a button. Uh, you know, our, our receptionist just wouldn't understand what you were doing. But uh, if you want to, you can. Uh, no, talk, uh, talk to our receptionist and uh, she'll be able to give you that information. So we're uh, we're really looking forward to it. We're starting a, a new program with the University of Oklahoma here, and we're going to be uh, coming and doing a, a lot of uh, wills caravans and making sure that we get uh, we get wills for the elders here. That's awesome. You know, that's a big it's a big deal, man. People don't realize if you don't have a will, then it just gets split up, and that's the problem yeah. with a lot of our Indian land right now. It's getting so split up, so fractured, you know, fractioned out that. Um, Nobody has a full full piece of land to stand well, on. You it's know, so. uh, doing wills is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite uh, parts of the job. I I love going out into uh, Indian country and and talking to people and hearing their stories. And that's uh, I mean, you know, the thing about working in uh, in Indian law is that it's been uh, it's been interesting every single day I've been there. And that's it's hard to find that in, it in is. anything else. Any you know? any kind of job that you can find that you're uh, you're happy doing and that um, that is interesting to you and keeps you you know that's that's one thing I always say. Oh, yeah, learn something yeah. new every day. So. You gotta you gotta have uh, have something new coming mm -hmm. in. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Well, Steve Hager, senior staff attorney for Oils Oklahoma Indian Legal Services. Thank you for coming and talking to us a little bit and letting us know kind of how everything is going, and uh, we'll, we'll have you back for sure. Well, always a pleasure to be here. You know, you all have a good day. All right. Thank you. Okay.